This message is presented by Pastor Chuck Wilson. Okay, here we go. Pastor Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, our prophecy series, and we're all the way up to Daniel chapter 5 now. Daniel 5, and the title is The Writing on the Wall. The Writing on the Wall. And we're going to see a very scary hand in this story. It's a pretty scary little story here. Uh, it reminds me kind of what happened when I was a kid. I can't remember how old I was, but my brother Billy and brother Todd were in our bedroom. All three of us were in the same room, and our beds were, beds were spread out. And one night I was kind of bored, having trouble falling asleep, so I decided to scare Billy. He was a year older than me, and I might have been 11, or, and he was 12, or I was 12 or 13, something like that. And I don't remember, but I just remember being bored, and I decided to scare him, and I said, Billy, and it's dark, we're dark at night, it's you know, probably 11 o'clock, and I said, Billy, I have to kill you tonight. He's like, shut up, Chuck. I'm trying to go to sleep. I go, I can't help it, Billy. I have to kill you tonight. And I'm laying on my bed. He's laying on his bed. And you know, he's like a couple feet away. And, and he's like, come on, Chuck, cut it out. I go, I'm sorry, Billy. And that was just quiet. He goes, come on, Chuck, cut it out. Quit joking around. Chuck, I'm sorry, Billy. Chuck, come on. Chuck, come on. Chuck, what do you do? And I just kept waiting, kept waiting. I have to kill you, Billy. <laughs> I just kept just going. And I went and talked for a while. And he said, come on, Chuck, come on, quick. You're kidding around, Chuck. You're kidding, right? Come on, cut it out. Finally, I didn't say anything. I just got real quiet, real quiet. And I kept this going for a little while. And I was real quiet. And Billy kept trying to get me to say something to reassure him. But I didn't. And and uh, his mind starts working. You know, we always watch scary movies. And, and, I, and I just waited. And I waited. I could hear him roll around, bouncing around. Trying to figure out, was it joking? Then I started to get quiet, and then I heard him starting to breathe, sleepy breathing, going to sleep. And then when I knew he was asleep, I crawled, slithered out of bed onto the floor, and crawled slowly. It took me like five minutes to go five feet, just slowly getting over there, quiet, 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 and and. Then I got, got down right next to his bed and I reached up, reached up, reached up and grabbed him by the neck. And when I did, he, it was like I put electric wire into his neck. He went, ah, I started screaming, kicking. He was like, like subconsciously waiting for this freaking guy. I go, ah, I got you, Billy. I got you, Billy. You thought I was going to kill you. You know, I scared him. Now, I was just joking around, but we're going to see a real scary story here. Another scary hand story here in Daniel chapter 5. And this was a real death warrant. It wasn't just a, a joking around warning, going to get you, Billy. This is a real death warning. And it's a warning for not just Babylon, but we're going to see it's a warning for the USA today also. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that this word would cut to our hearts, would change the way that we live. I pray that if anybody is listening has never given their life to Jesus Christ, that they would do that today. And the rest of us would choose to live for Jesus today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's pick it up here. Daniel chapter 5. And I guess I'll read the first nine verses and then we'll go over them. Uh, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. 
from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched as the hand, watched the hand as it wrote. <clears throat> his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew pale. His nobles were baffled. Woo! So, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, little history in between. In between chapter 4 and chapter 5, a lot has happened in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has died. We know from history he has died. And there's been three quick rulers in succession. The first was murdered, the second one died in battle, and the third one was beaten to death. And Nebuchadnezzar, who led the last revolt, he beat the other guy to death. Nebuchadnezzar, who led the last revolt, married one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughters to give himself some legitimacy, and he becomes the king. And he adopts Belshazzar, who is not related at all, but he adopts him as his adopted son, which was very common at that time, and that's uh, which made him now officially Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. There's no word in Hebrew or Chaldean for grandson. There's no such word for grandfather, I should say for grandfather, that's why he, the, he's called, Nebuchadnezzar is called his father. It's really his grandfather, but he's called his father. Um, the liberals have said for many years, said, said for many years, there's no such person as, as Belshazzar. There's no such person, no such person. And then archaeologists found Belshazzar in history and, oh, never mind. Uh, just like always, the Bible's tr proved true over and over again by archaeology. Nebuchadnezzar was a very unpopular, Belshazzar's adopted father was a very unpopular in Babylon. He's not the real king. Everybody knew it. He, he had murdered the previous king, so he moves his political capital away. And he leaves to another city, and he leaves Belshazzar as the second ruler. Remember this. He leaves, history tells us, he left him as the second ruler over Babylon, ruling in Babylon in his place. So Cyrus, Medes and Persians, Cyrus invades. He fights Nabonidus in a battle. Nabonidus loses that battle, but he surrenders, so he's allowed to live. They let him live, but he's uh, locked away. And now, now Cyrus has come and surrounded Babylon. Babylon is now surrounded by the Medes and Persians. King Cyrus, <clears throat> Nabonidus has been gone for 10 years. He's left Belshazzar alone for 10 years. Now he's out of the picture completely. He's locked in a dungeon somewhere. So what do the kids do when their parents are gone for a long time? Well, they throw a party. It's exactly what Belshazzar is doing, throwing parties. Verse 1, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Woo, must have been quite a party. It's not only recorded in the Bible, but the, the historian Herodotus also records this party. It was quite a party. A thousand nobles, lots of wine, lots of women. This was a drunken orgy. Lots of description in history of these kind of parties. 
<clears throat> it's a drunken orgy. Remember now, these guys are under siege. They're surrounded by an army of the Medes and Persians. They're under siege. His dad is in the dungeon of the Medes and Persians. What's going on? Why is he throwing a party? It's called a false sense of security. A false sense of security. Babylon hadn't been taken by an invading army in over a thousand years. That's how secure this place was. The walls, remember we talked about it last time, the walls were 300 feet high, so thick you could have chariot races on them. <clears throat> There's no way they're going to be broken. The city itself had at least a million people by this point inside of it, at least a million people. It was one of those untakeable cities, un the Rock of Gibraltar, Lord of the Rings, Gondor. Remember Gondor up on the, the cliff? It couldn't be taken until finally the orcs figured it out, you know, how to take it. And uh, that, that was, uh, almost take it, that was what this was a picture of. They could grow their own food. It was so massive, they could grow their own food. There was enough food already stored for 20 years. They were going to outweigh any siege. They had gathered all the food in, enough for 20 years. And then they had all the water they needed. There was a river running right through the city of Babylon. There's these huge iron bars that were went through the river to keep any invading army out. And this river ran through. And even if they could get there, they couldn't have swum, get to the bottom of that river to get in. Wait till we tell the story later in Daniel. But... <clears throat> But the this this has this was like untakeable. Hmm. A country that has a false sense of security, obsessed with parties, alcohol, and sex. Who does that remind us of? Hmm. Give me a few minutes, it'll come to me. Anyway, moving forward, verse 2, it says, well, we see that he mocked God. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave order to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then the king and his nobles, his wives, and concubines drank from them as they drank from the, the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They praised their idols, all right? The language here, in, uh, language here describes Belshazzar as being carried away by, by his wine and by drunkenness. That was the picture. He's like so drunk, he's doing these crazy things. And he's saying, really, he's saying by taking these, the, the goblets from the temple, he's saying, my gods are better than your god. He's mocking the one true God, Jehovah. Yes, we're surrounded by the Medes and Persians, but that army can't touch me and neither can this Jewish God that we've been hearing about lately in Babylon. Uh, he should have known better because he knew about this God. Nebuchadnezzar had issued the proclamations. Remember the proclamations we saw leading up to this? Chapter 4 finally says he's the one true God. Jehovah is the one true God. He, he should have known better. That was in the history books. Belshazzar was trained in history. He had to know what Nebuchadnezzar had said about the Jewish God. And yet here he is mocking him saying, my gods and the idols are better than him. He's mocking him. He should have known better. Nabonidus his adopted father knew better. In fact, there's a quote in the, they found a, a quote in uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls about Nabonidus. This is historical. It says here, Nabunai, king of Babylon, gives thanks to the most high God for curing him of an evil ulcer that afflicted him. 
the Most High God. Same language that Nebuchadnezzar used, obviously still impacted by the worship of the one true God, still praying to the one true God, the Most High God of Jehovah, the Jewish God. He knew about that, but Jehovah, the Jehovah worship ended with Belshazzar. He didn't buy that. He didn't take that. He didn't listen to Nebuchadnezzar or Nabonidus. He, it ended with him, and so did the kingdom of Babylon, as we will see later in this chapter. God allowed his temple in Jerusalem to be destroyed because he was disciplining the Jewish people for their idol worship. That was his discipline. But the articles in the temple, the gold articles, were taken by Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't melt them down. He saved them. He ended up, God used Nebuchadnezzar to, to preserve them, and then they were sent back later on when the temple was rebuilt, right? Uh, so the, the articles were kept in safekeeping until that temple was rebuilt. But Nebuchadnezzar never disrespected these articles of gold. But Belshazzar uses them to blaspheme God. Once again, we see a parallel with the USA Today. God and his son Jesus Christ are blasphemed in ways that were unimaginable when I was a kid. Not that long ago. Okay, a little long. But not that long ago, 20 years ago even, mocking God, blaspheming God and Jesus Christ in ways that were unimaginable, regularly done on TV and in the movies and in the media and by everybody, by so many people. It, it's horrible in songs, in music, by celebrities, mocking God. Ooh, it's going to come around because we see this happens here, that God crashes the party. And he's going to crash our party too, I'm afraid. Verses 5 and 6, listen to what it says here. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. God crashes the party. Crashes the party. Three times in the Bible we see that God writes with his finger. Here, he writes with his finger, <clears throat> or at least the form of a human hand it says here, uses his finger. Uh, what, else, what else did he write with his finger? The Ten Commandments. Remember, he wrote with his finger on the Ten Commandments, on those stone tablets. And one other time, John chapter 8, Jesus wrote in the dirt. Remember, he wrote in the dirt when they brought the woman accused of adultery before him. What was he writing? Probably the sins of all the guys who brought the rocks to stone her with. That's probably why they slinked away, because he was writing about their sins. But anyway, three times. And here we see the finger appears, fingers appear and write, they write something, they, which scares everybody. They have actually found, archaeologists have actually found the th throne room in Babylon. They found it. It's the size of the White House main section. It was a huge room. Uh, it, was, it was a niche with white plaster walls. They found it all. White plaster walls. It's amazing. It was like a big movie screen is what, it's, what you could think of it as. Big white plaster wall movie screen. And imagine the torch lights are going and everybody's partying and having a great time, getting crazy. And this hand appears. This, this hand appears and, and the finger begins to write this scary, creepy hand to them. Scary, creepy hand. Had to scare them incredibly, right? Uh, I, I remember... I told the Billy story, but I, I did a lot of scaring with my siblings. Uh, that's why they're all in counseling now. But anyway, the uh, I remember my sister Kelly. She was seven years younger than me. And one time I got bored, so I decided to scare her one night. And in, in, in the room, you turned the lights off, and there was just a night light, so you could just see a little bit. And I was under her bed. 
you know, there's nothing to be afraid of under the bed. Well, there was at our house, and uh, I was under the bed, and she she was just get into bed, and I I don't know, maybe she was four and I was eleven, something like that. And I remember I started reaching up, reaching up above the bed here where she could see the hand in the light, because I knew she just got in bed. I knew she was awake. I just reached up with this clawed, scary-looking hand over the bed, moving toward her slowly, slowly, and all of a sudden I heard her say. Mommy! <laughs> I jumped out. I got you, Kelly. I got you. Yes, lots of counseling. But anyway, uh, then, then I, another time I also crawled into her bed. So when she came in, she shut the lights off. You know how you can get into the bed and the, I crumpled the, the covers so that you could look like just crumpled covers, but I was really flat in the bed waiting. And she gets in the bed and I grabbed her leg. Oh, she was scared that night. But she got me the next night. She got me back. She decided to get me. She crawled into my bed under the covers. And, uh, but, but when I came into my room, to go, go into my room, the lights were still on. I came into my room, and she was walking out of the room. And I'm like, where are you going? And she goes, I threw up in your bed. She got me back. She got into the covers <clears throat> the next night to scare me. Crumpled the covers. They're going to scare me. But she had trouble breathing in it. She caused her to throw up into my bed. She got me back. She got me back. Uh, yes, my mom wasn't happy with either one of us. Uh, so this scary hand, this, it says like a scary hand writing. It terrified Belshazzar. He sobered up quick. There was no coffee needed. He sobered up quick. The King James Version, I love what they, how they word it. They said his loins loosened. His loins loosened. King James Version, that means they needed to change his diaper. That's what really happened to this guy here, right? And he learned a very important lesson. Don't mess with the one true God, the only God. Don't mess with him. Don't mess with Jehovah, the God of Israel. Don't mess with him. Reminds me of the, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember when the Nazis looked into the, the Ark of the Covenant because they were, didn't think of anything of God's power. They looked in and y'all got melted because they looked in. That's really a, a picture of this is don't mess with God. Don't mess with God. And then we see verses 7 and 9. I call this strike three. Strike three. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these men, these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. <clears throat> then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale, his nobles were baffled. Wow. So I call this strike three because he calls in the wise guys. Remember we've been talking about the wise guys? I have no idea why they're still called the wise men, the wise guys, maybe out of habit, you know, but, but they should be called them dumb and dumber because that's just what these guys were. He offers us this amazing award, third ruler in the kingdom. Why third ruler? Because Belshazzar is only the second ruler. Remember what we said from history, that Nabonidus was number one. He made him number two. The best he can do is give him number three. Once again, the Bible's historical accuracy is proved in an amazing way. Even a little detail like that is, is, shows the incredible historical accuracy of the Bible. It's God's word. But So he offers them this, but they can't do it. Once again, dumb and dumber. Not the wise guys. These guys are dumb and dumber. Chapter 2, they couldn't come up with the dream, remember? Chapter 4, they couldn't interpret the dream. Here we are in chapter 5, and they, it's even in their own language, and they still can't read and interpret it. They're spiritually blind. Blind. The world is blind. And this is where we're going to kind of drive it home for today and hit the next part next time. But the world is blind. They have no answers. 
How about us? Can we read the handwriting on the wall? Can we read the handwriting on the wall? In the USA today, can we read the handwriting on the wall? If you know the word and you pay attention to what's going on in the news, it's not hard to connect the dots. Can we read it? God starts with God cannot be mocked. We reap what we sow. That's as an individual and as a country. We reap what we sow. We have begun to reap what we sow. Look at our society, the society of addicts with alcohol and drugs and pornography and gambling it, 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 and all the effects of these, these the, the sowing that we've done and reaping that we've done. You, read, you follow the daily news and it's like it would have, you would think it's a sci-fi horror movie. Things that you would not even imagine. When I was as a kid, who would even imagine could possibly be happening in the USA today, but it's now accepted and, and glorified in. We are Babylon. We are living out a sci-fi horror movie. We are Babylon. I was recently we had a little birthday party out in, in our yard and we have a big family you're only allowed 10 people in the house but we already have 11 already and we and, and so family's all there and we're having a good time and sitting out there having a birthday party and uh it was for James, baby James. It was James' party, and we we're all sitting there. And every time a car would go by, he'd say, "Oh, somebody's going to report us because we got a big group here. They're going to think we're some big party. Don't realize we're just a family." And uh, and then the police car would go by. You know, is there a police car? Oh, they're going to stop and warn us. I said, "Don't worry, guys. Don't worry. If they stop and say, what are you guys doing?' I'll just say, "Don't worry, don't worry. We're selling pot and we're doing abortions in the in the in the basement." Then and Governor Wolf will let us right off because that's okay. <laughs> in, in Pennsylvania, right? And but the, I was joking, but it, not joking because that shows how sick we've become. That we have a, a, a governor leading our state that is trying to legalize pot and 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 in the shutdowns, they'll make sure that the abortion clinics are open. Uh, don't let, don't touch Planned Parenthood. That's how demented that we have become. It, it's unbelievable. And God has begun to crash this party. Pay attention. He may seem like he's taking a long time to do it, but God, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years a day. God is patient. Remember that verse? God is patient with you, waiting for us to repent, waiting for us to put our faith in him. He's patient, but God has begun to crash the party, connect the dots. 1973, I, I saw it start to happen in 1973. 1973, in January of 1973, Roe versus Wade. Every state had to have legal abortion on demand. 1973. Unbelievable. And in March of that same year, we lost the Vietnam War. Vietnam War. Even though we had won the Tet Offensive, we won. The, the Viet, North Vietnamese were ready to surrender. Read, read about it, watch it, study history. They had lost, they were ready to surrender, and yet, turns out, they saw the riots and everything here and realized that we were ready to surrender, so they kept on fighting. They were ready to give up. And and here they, why did that happen? Why did we leave with our tail between our legs and lost the first war we ever lost in our history? I believe it's because of Roe versus Wade a few months earlier and we were done. God's judgment was there. Pay attention. World Trade Center. World Trade Center, about 20 years ago now, look what was hit. The World Trade Center, the, the, the picture of our economic might, and now also the Pentagon, our military might, were both hit. Unbelievable message from God. Then don't forget about Katrina, which followed not too long after that. Remember Katrina and the devastation that it caused? And when did that happen? It happened right after we pressured Israel to give up the West Bank. 
that was is promised to them by God's word. It's theirs. It's it's theirs given by God. We pressured them to give that up and look at the disaster that's been for them. They're finally going to go take it back again and, and enough of this silliness. But we pressured them to give that up and God says, okay, you're going to take away their West Bank. I'm going to take away a lot of the USA. Here comes a big, uh, you know, look at the devastation that Katrina caused. The same time that they were evacuating the West Bank, I remember the TV screen, there was a split screen, and they were showing them leaving the West Bank, and they were showing evacuating all the people, destroyed New Orleans and everything that happened there, destroyed. It was crazy. You couldn't miss the connection. Google it. Look it up. If Google even allows it anymore. But look it up. Say God's judgment on the U.S. because of Katrina and the West Bank. And you will see some amazing write-ups by people that were in the White House at that time that picked up on this. Amazing, amazing. So, and then, and then, uh, and then moving forward <clears throat> from, uh, from the, uh, uh, then moving forward from Katrina, we saw we got stuck in this quagmire in Iraq. We still can't get out of Iraq. It's like, like quicksand for us. And the Middle East is like quicksand for us. It's been draining us ever since. And don't forget, what is in Iraq? Babylon. <laughs> Babylon is in Iraq. There's a prophetic and there's connections. And then the coronavirus now. Now we see the coronavirus and our economy, which was booming. And we've seen what has happened if you haven't had a chance to listen to my sermon on connecting the dots to the coronavirus and beyond, listen to that. You'll hear what I... Uh, it's hard to miss what God is trying to speak to us about. And the world has no answers. The world has no answers. I remember after 9-11, uh, I think it was in... Yankee Stadium uh, in New York City. I think that's where it was. But I remember they had all these dignitaries and people coming together to try to make sense of the World Trade Center and what happened there. And they it was just sad to watch. They had Oprah. The high priestess of the day was Oprah giving her spiritual perspective. Demonic lies. And, and that's, that's, that's the best of the world could give us. And each time there's a crisis, who gets blamed? The president. Always blaming the president. Listen, you think the president can uh, control the weather, Katrina? You think the president can control plagues? You think that's President Trump's fault? <laughs> this is God's doing. And, and they have no answers. They just don't know. They, the world has no answers. They're just looking for someone to blame and they're freaking out. They're looking for someone to blame in their fear. Doomsday clock. I have this from a couple years back. The doomsday clock now gauges climate change. Now, does climate change, listen to this, scientist Stephen Hawking described climate change Wednesday as a greater threat to the planet than terrorism. Other prominent scientists prepared to push the giant hand of the doomsday clock forward. It was really just meant for the atomic age, but now they've added climate change to it. It's moved closer to midnight. It's the fourth time since the end of the Cold War that the clock has ticked forward, this time from 1153 to 1155 over what the scientists describe as a second nuclear age promote, prompted largely by a, the atomic war with Iran, by the, by the atomic uh, age being embraced by Iran and North Korea. They got their atomic weapons. That pushed it forward. But the organization added that the dangers posed by climate change are nearly as dire as those posed by nuclear war. And this is their answer. These guys aren't controlling the clock. There's someone controlling the clock, and it's not man. 
I had a professor one time, Professor McGahey at it used to be called PCB, Philadelphia College of Iowa. Now it's Karen University. But uh, I'll never forget. He, I'll never forget this guy. He, I took a, his course, Daniel Revelation, from him. That really got me interested at the time. Started with this, and I'll never forget. He said, "The world will not be destroyed." This, uh, Dr. McGee had this white hair, looked like Moses, you know, no beard, but Moses, and and he was a fiery guy. And he said, "The world will not be destroyed by atomic warfare. It won't be done by a bomb. It's not gonna. That's not how the world is going to be destroyed. God is saving that pleasure for Himself." <laughs> he was so funny, but it's true. God, it's not going to happen by human hands. It's going to be God's hand. God's finger is pushing the clock where where it's going to go. God's deciding, and 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 they 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 just look at the bomb, nuclear bombs, or they look at climate change. That's what they look at. But how about the moral decline? How about moral sin? Worldwide moral sin. And, and, and what that does, they leave that out of the equation. They leave God out of the equation. Why? Because Stephen Hawking didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in God. He said it's all man-made and all that stuff. Stephen Hawking, the brilliant um, scientist, uh, didn't believe in God. Of course, he died a few years ago, so now he knows better. Uh, that's another quote from McGee. He, he used it on somebody and I never forgot it. So the the handwriting on the wall. The world has no answers. No answers. They don't know what is going on. The world can't read the handwriting on the wall, but we can read the handwriting on the wall. We should be understanding as Christians, we should be knowing what's going on. We should be aware of what's happening. In 1 Thessalonians 5, and I've read this before in our prophecy series, but look, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 says, now brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for the, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So this day of the Lord, this time of judgment, when Jesus comes to judge the earth and, and establish his kingdom again, that's going to come like a thief. It, it, we, he says there's no point in writing dates because you can't begin to guess it. You can't be moving your hand around knowing the clock when it's going to happen. It's going to happen when God decides. But he says, while people are saying peace and safety... Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So people, the world's going to think everything's fine. We're doing fine. Our economy's fine. We're at peace. Everything's great. But that's when the destruction will come quickly on the day of the Lord. Verse 4. Now here's for us though. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Since we can't know the dates, we can't know the times. It's going to surprise the world, but we shouldn't be surprised. Even though we can't set a date, we should know it's coming. We should be able to see the signs that are, are happening. We should know. Verse 5, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep at night... Uh, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting our faith, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. We should be aware. We should be living by faith. In, in, in the, the, by faith, we should be living in purity. This is how God is calling us to live. Can you hear 
God's warning today? Can you hear God's warning today? Are we prepared as Christians? Are we doing what it says here in 1 Thessalonians 5? Are we prepared? Are we living as salt and light? Are we being faithful? Just like Daniel was. Wait till we, we'll talk a little bit more about that the rest of the chapter. But Daniel had been stuck into a corner, pushed aside, completely forgotten by the new administration. He'd been pushed aside, and yet he remained faithful. He kept doing what he was called to do. Are we doing that? As, as maybe you're listening to this and you're not a Christian yet. You're not a Christian yet. Like Belshazzar, you're living like Belshazzar in complete darkness, in terror, in fear. In this, like Belshazzar, this could be your last day on earth. Could be for all of us. We never know. We never know. This could be our last day on earth. Could be our, our last one. Are you ready? Belshazzar was not ready. Are you ready? Most people aren't. But you can be ready. You can be ready, but only, only through Jesus Christ. I remember the last time I went up on the World Trade Center and they were handing out this pamphlet. Tongue-in-cheek, the closest some of us will ever get to heaven. The World Trade Center, New York. And this was meant to be funny and meant to be a joke. But, you know, this became a prophetic reality for many, many people, thousands of people on 9-11. But not just 9-11. This is a prophetic reality for every one of us. That getting to the top of a World Trade Center, a tall building, is the closest most people on earth will ever get to heaven if they don't know Jesus Christ and have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. As we go this time of prayer, I want to really, each one of us, to ask ourselves the question, what if this was our last day on earth? Are we ready to face God? Are we ready for eternity? There's only one way to be ready. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life life. God gave his one and only son Jesus to die on the cross in our place for our sin. He took our punishment so that we could have life now and forever. How? how? If we believe in him, if we put our faith in him. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever given your life to him? You can pray that prayer of faith, right? Now, wherever you are, the simple prayer of faith, if God's Spirit is pulling you to give your life to Jesus, you can do that right now. God, I believe Jesus, your Son, died for me. He died for my sin. For every wrong thing I ever have done, He took my punishment upon Himself. I believe that. I believe in Jesus. I put my faith in Him. I walk away from my old life, my old sin. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Him. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, You no longer have to fear death. 
You no longer have to fear judgment. You no longer have to fear anything that you face in this life because you are now a child of God. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is living in you. And you can now begin to live out your purpose, God-given purpose. No matter what you face, no matter what we face in this life, we have God's presence. And I want to encourage you, if you've prayed that prayer of faith, to let somebody know, another Christian know, family member, friend who's a Christian, maybe a pastor at your church, who, who or Bible study, let somebody know. And if you need to let somebody know, and you don't know anybody to let know, let me know. I'll be the one to be excited for you and encourage you. NHCC at Comcast.net. For the rest of us who have already put our faith in Jesus, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What if this was our last day on earth? What if this was the day that Jesus was going to come again, the second coming that we've all been looking forward to? What if he was going to come right now, rapture, second coming, whatever your theology, I don't want to argue about that, but however God's speaking to you, what if Jesus was coming for us right now? Would you be ready? Spiritually ready, you're a Christian, you know where you're going to go, but would you be happy to see Jesus or ashamed? What in our life do we need to get right? Maybe what we watch or what we do or what we're thinking. What do we need to get right so that we're really ready for Jesus to come again? Father, I pray for a deep conviction for each of us that we would all be ready when Jesus comes again. That we would all be looking forward to his coming. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, next time it's going to get even more wild here in Daniel 5. I hope you're able to listen to the next one too.